Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, <laughs> clearly, my sermon went better than I thought, so it's nice of you to come. <laughs> Gavin, I uh, I'm passionate about young people meeting Jesus and sticking with Jesus. Um, if you enjoyed today, there's going to be feedback at the end. By which case, it's Gavin Calvert. If it goes badly, it's Peter Linus. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm totally, totally passionate about young people making it in faith. I gave 14 years of my life to Youth for Christ. Loved it. I have not given up on young people by joining the Evangelical Alliance. I've simply said, all ages, from the cradle to the grave, meeting Jesus. But you know, um, I've got some brilliant slides, but the technology stopped working for some reason. So you just imagine the best PowerPoint ever. <laughs> <laughs> what percentage in the last 100 years, what percentage of people do you think have come to faith in the UK under the age of 25? 80%. There's a guess. Anyone else? 90? Anyone think lower? 40? Over the last 100 years, 86% of people who've come to faith in the United Kingdom have been aged 25 or under. Isn't that challenging? In fact, put your hand up. I did. If you came to faith aged 25 or under, put your hand up. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't work with older age groups, but it does mean we should focus a lot on younger ones. I have a basic way of putting this. Young people are wet cement. You can make a big mark on a young person's life very easily. Just checking, can you hear me at the back? There's no microphone, you're all good? Wonderful. You can make a very big mark very easily. An older person, and you define older, but I fall into this category too, you get your chisel out, you get your hammer out, and you have a whack at that dry cement, and you can make an imprint, but it's hard work. We've got to get more serious about our younger people, particularly here in Northern Ireland. You've got far greater church attendance than we have in England. And what's really important, therefore, is your first evangelistic strategy should be to shut the back door. You know, we've got to stop losing our kids out the back door. The first evangelistic strategy of the church should be to keep those they have. We did some research called Talking Jesus. Did anyone come across this? About um, within the UK, how do people come to faith? We did this um, Evangelical Alliance Hope and uh, Church of England. And the number one way that people come to faith is by being born into a Christian home. So if you want another tip for how we get more people in the church, breed more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fun tip too. <laughs> but, but just to clarify, that is by um, children being born into a, a home where two people love each other and are married, right? Just to clarify. <laughs> so, so you shouldn't just breed. <laughs> give you an idea um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about has come out of a book I've read called Disappointed with Jesus I'm guessing they've got it in the marketplace um, to say as well if you buy any book I've ever written every penny goes to the EA of Royal Show don't make any money because well, you don't write about reaching people and keep the money it goes back into mission so if you buy the book and think the book's pants well at least you plough some money back into mission <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote this book when I was 23 and I've tried desperately to keep it out of print but it keeps selling <laughs> And it keeps selling because it's helping people understand some of how we can keep our young people. I wrote it because I was in a youth group of 20, and only one other kid from that youth group is a Christian now. Although, wonderfully, in the last 12 months, actually, two others have come back. But it's taken till then. But the only other person who graduated from my youth group as a Christian was Graham Kendrick's daughter. So the church got Graham Kendrick's daughter and Clive Calver's son. <laughs> 
I'm not sure if that's to do with the church or to do with the fact that the backgrounds we're from, but, but we've got problems, haven't we? And I wrote this book to just try and help people work out how to start shutting the back door. And I'd encourage you, if you know people in your churches that might benefit, that would help. And just to illustrate, oh, we want that last one, just to illustrate something, does anyone, can anyone tell me who any of these people are? Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Do you know how old Spurgeon was when he came to faith? Fifteen. Anyone else? Got D.L. Moody. Right in the top corner. D.L. Moody was 17 when he came to faith. In the middle at the top, you've got George Whitfield. He was 15 when he met Jesus. Amy Carmichael, 16 when she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Down the bottom, William Booth, 17 when he came to faith. Catherine was 14. This projector does not like something. In the middle was Spurgeon. (laughs) And on the end was Hudson Taylor, 15 when he came to faith. I I show that just to encourage us. Some of the most difficult, awkward, challenging young people in our communities could become amazing things. I, uh, what kind of young people, we're, we're guessing here because we don't know, what kind of young people do you think they were before they met Jesus? And the more participation, the better. <laughs> <laughs> but what kind of young people do you think they were before they met Jesus? They were all pioneer people, so I reckon they were difficult and awkward. Difficult and awkward. <laughs> Anything else? Disillusioned. Disillusioned. Churchgoers, maybe, everything. Do you think they were quiet, conformist, nice little young people? No. Why not? Because you don't become people that lead the kind of things they led if you're quiet and conformist. There's nothing wrong with quiet conformists. But what I want to say at the very start of this is, do not moan about the kind of young people you have. Dream about them redeemed. Because I go, I go on the BBC quite a lot. Um, I don't do it quite as much at the moment, but I go on the BBC quite a lot. And I, don't, I went on against Dawkins once, right? and that was fun. Um, he doesn't like me very much. And in truth, the feeling's mutual. But, <laughs> but you go on the BBC and you go on these shows, and everything's against you. And I love it. Because I was a naughty teenager. And my rebelliousness has been redeemed. And I don't think the church keeps its rebels. We often keep our conformists. And then what you end up with is people who won't stand out, speak up and act up. And we need to work hard. Sometimes the most difficult kid in your youth group is most likely to be a great leader for Jesus in the future, if redeemed. And we mustn't just put our efforts into the nice ones. Um, I'll move on on my PowerPoint for my benefit. (laughs) (laughs) I've got some integrated notes. Um, All I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through each age group And we're going to look at some stuff we could do. And the reason we're going to look at some stuff we could do... If you could just stand there holding the plug. (laughs) (laughs) Who who ever said that the university system was over-financed? Anyway, (laughs) we're just going to look at some ways which might help us as churches and as parents. Not to six. You know what? I haven't got a lot to say about this. Other than to say, we're good at it. I think we're so good at knocking ourselves... But we're good with little ones. Did you know that 92% of mums and toddlers groups in the UK are running churches? That's exciting. I would love to see a bit more evangelism going on, but that's exciting. And when your kids are this age, they love it. Very enthusiastic about stuff, it's all good. And the church, I think, is the best provider of stuff for this age group. 
And despite the stories you hear of this often, I think it's the safest provider of stuff for this age group too. And I think sometimes we have to pat ourselves on the back and say, do you know what, we do all right. So up to six, we're cool. <laughs> then we've got to do better. My friend Rob Parsons, who's, I think he works for Care for the Family, um, <laughs> he, uh, he says that until your kids are 12, you just pour into them. You just pour into them and you pour into them and you pour into them. And then you hope you've poured in enough. But in those early years, one thing I would say is, let's not think nothing's going in. One of the things I find very frustrating about a lot of my friends who are Christians is they don't read the Bible with their kids. And they might do the occasional prayer, but, but, but some of that's lost. With our kids, they get a Bible story every night and a prayer, and they get another story too. But they only get the other story if there's enough time. You know when you get home late and it's like, there's not a lot of time, but still do the Bible. And... I remember my son, me and him, having a battle for a little while because he's like, I don't want the Bible story. I said, okay, well, there's no hungry caterpillar. <laughs> now, when he's a teenager, that sort of technique won't work. <laughs> but but pour, into this, pour into them when they're little. I think um, we underestimate what can happen with kids of this age too. Now, I don't know how charismatic you are, but I'll be honest, I'm quite charismatic. I can do, all, I can do the spectrum. I'll tell you why I can do the spectrum because I work for the Evangelical Alliance. I go to some places where I'm not sure they realise the Holy Spirit exists. And I go to some places where, wow, we dance on the rooftops. And um, there's something called New Wine, which uh, I was at last week in England. And when my boy was two years old, in the North of the Threes at New Wine, they invited the Holy Spirit to come. And I have never seen a room as peaceful and it's quite, I've honestly never seen noughts for threes be quiet. Total silence. And then these, these little toddlers, some of them who could only just speak, were having pictures of what God was showing them and all kinds of stuff. That day taught me a lesson. Don't underestimate what God can say to a little kid. Jesus loves children. And therefore, at the nought six age, we work at it. Then we move on to seven to 11. This is the age that we're at at the moment with ours got a six and a half year old and a nine year old seven to eleven I think we're living the dream no nappies no teenagers <laughs> people keep saying to me don't assume your teenagers will be bad I keep saying back to them my wife and I were both bad we're both leaders we've got strong personalities of kids if they're not bad wow God is gracious <laughs> but seven to eleven is interesting because up to about the age of seven kids are fine they don't cause you problems in the same way it's energy you're struggling with. But then you get to a new world. Because what happens at about age seven, maybe age eight, is concrete to abstract thinking. This is really significant for us as churches. We have concrete to abstract thinking. Which means, um, if you show a five-year-old... Well, I remember, here, here you go. My son, when he was four, saw a picture of Levi Roots. Do you know Levi Roots, who made the reggae reggae sauce? Yeah. Big black man with massive dreads. Yeah. And he looked at it and he said to my wife, he looks like daddy. <laughs> now that, that's ludicrous. But if you show a picture of a gingerbread man to a four-year-old, that's daddy, if they have one. You show a picture of a gingerbread woman, that's mummy. You show a picture of any house, that's, that's, how, that's home. When you get older, your thinking starts going from concrete to abstract. Concrete is all you can see is all there is. Abstract thinking changes everything. To highlight this, when I was eight years old, there was a bully at school. It was called Peter. Peter ran the playground with fear. 
you know, he was the boy whose voice had broken at the age of six. And <laughs> by eight, he had a beard. And he was like, a foot taller than everyone else. And he won every football match he played, because he didn't only play, he was the referee as well. <laughs> and there was one particular football match in which he was playing against my friend. My friend Richard was the opposite of Peter. Where Peter was strong, Richard was a wimp. Where Peter had piercing ears, Richard had those NHS glasses he used to have. Where Peter growled, Richard sort of squawked. And Richard had the audacity to suggest to Peter that he hadn't won the football match. So Peter started knocking him about a bit. I saw this and I thought, this isn't fair. I've never had these emotions before. So I ran across the playground and I was confronted by this boyhood bully. And I did something that's either very brave or very stupid. I looked at him and I punched him in the face. <laughs> then I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Until my female equivalent of a knight in shining armour came. It was the middle-aged dinner lady with a moustache. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she, she separated us, made us stand against the fence in silence. At the end of the day, Peter came up to me and said, you can join my gang now. <laughs> you know, until that age, I'd never seen a problem with the fact that one boy was telling everyone it's this way and bullying everyone. Then concrete to abstract thinking manifested itself in, in, in my growing up that things were different. And what we've got to do is we've just got to support kids through this because... Because the world is very small and then suddenly it becomes very big. And it's very difficult. And so instead of waiting, you know, um, there's some research from the Barna Group in the US, and it can't be that different here, that says that kids from Christian homes decide by the time they're eight whether they're going to stick it here or not. So at the age of eight, they will decide, when I'm old enough, I'm out of here. Do you know in America they have totally different issues? Your average 16-year-old from a Christian home goes to church. Do you know where no problem time is? When I go to college. We've got, a, it, it depends on your family background, but I think in the UK generally, our kids start being naughty about four years earlier. But in some ways, I'd rather my kids were naughty on my watch, as opposed to I thought everything was going okay. But kids, are, when, when the concrete to abstract thinking changes, they're making decisions fairly quickly about whether they want this or not. Therefore, we've got to be around and we've got to be pouring in and we've got to be putting quality time in. You also got to think that pluralism plays a part around this too. Even if you live in a very mono-ethnic area, which I don't, I live in London. I live in the most cosmopolitan city in the world, and it's ace. But I'll tell you something, the, the, the concrete to abstract thinking in a pluralistic culture is tricky. It's tricky. What I mean within this, we have to understand other faiths to be able to help our kids navigate that. You say, why? Well, how do you know the uniqueness of Christ? We'll say Christ is unique, but how do you understand that and explain that to a child unless you know what's different? For example, there are 99 names for Allah, the God of Islam, and they're good names. Merciful, just, other things. But not one of them is love. If I give one name to my Jesus, it's love. Uniqueness of Jesus, then I understand it a little bit, and my kids can navigate that a bit. They're being taught other faiths, and they're being taught um, atheism and humanism, as if these are wonderfully great we've got to know how to navigate these in order to help them you can't have your eight year old knowing more about these things than you do because we've got to help them because it's so confusing my brother's son Keanu was seven and he came running up to me he says Uncle Gavin Uncle Gavin I've made you a Chris Stingle for Hanukkah (laughs) 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 and I had to unstitch it for him because you've got this difficult landscape they're growing up in and things are challenging. Anyone want to throw anything in? Want to say anything? Ask anything? All right, we'll crack on to the more fun bit. 11 to 14. 
What is the single biggest enforced social change in your life? Changing schools. Yeah. You know, if, um, if you go to uni, you choose. If you get married, you choose. If you go into an old people's home, your children choose. <laughs> every stage of life, every stage of life, someone chooses. Except this one. Changing schools is a massive deal. It is a massive deal. And we have got to support our kids better as they change schools. It, um, the TV programme, Big Brother, right, which has gone on for at least 15 years too long. <laughs> when it first came out, I found the first night of it intriguing. You know, the first few series, I'd love watching the first night. For two reasons. Firstly, they would say, this is a representative group of the United Kingdom. I'd be like, really? <laughs> I've never met anyone like any of them. <laughs> I mean, my wife used to say to me, Gav, you'd never get on. You're too weird. <laughs> At the time, she'd say, you're an evangelical, proclamation evangelist, under 30, married. And you know what gender you are. <laughs> she said you'd never get on. And, and you see the start, and you see all these people come in. But it's a fascinating social experiment. Because you put a load of people in a house who'd never be in a house together. And you see how they behave. And I just find it fascinating. And within about 10 seconds, you know that one person's going out within two weeks, don't you? Because they're too cocky, too loud, or whatever else. You know the person who's really quiet and who's very mysterious. You know they'll make it to at least uh, the sixth week, because by then they'll open their mouth. <laughs> the person over here who hates everything and everything else they'll be gone you, you can just see it all can't you see it unfold in front of your eyes then people would get kicked out of the big brother house and for about six weeks they'd have horrible media attention then fortunately it would all blow over it's a bit like changing schools you know except it doesn't last for six weeks it can last for seven years you go from an environment in which you're safe and familiar into a big wide world in which people make decisions on you very quickly <coughs> A big wide world in which your self-esteem, your pressure and everything else kicks in. I had a, a good mate at primary school called Eugene. I guess we should have seen it coming. And he was called Eugene. And um, what happened was, at primary school, he was clever. He was a fast runner. He was good at football. He was doing well. But primary school only had, what, 300 kids in it? He went to secondary school where there's 1,000 kids in your year. And he wasn't fast. And he wasn't in the football team. And he wasn't clever. And he went from being this big, cocky, outrageous, outspoken person to being someone who hardly said anything. And you know, we've got to help our kids through this. How many of your school, how many of your churches do preparing to change schools preparation classes? Okay, a couple. How many of your churches do marriage prep? That's the problem, you know. It's not that we shouldn't do marriage prep. But marriage is a choice. Changing schools is enforced. We've got to get serious about this as, as, as churches. If you don't know what to do, Scripture Union do something called It's Your Move. That's a great resource to help and well worth getting hold of. I'd encourage as well, um, if a church gets good at this, let other people know what you're doing. But we've got to start doing this because there's this mega socially enforced change on one of the most volatile times of life and the church didn't do anything. And we just sort of let them go. And at best, if we're really good, we might pray for them the Sunday before they change schools. This is the biggest attack on a young person's self-esteem and the biggest social issue we're dealing with with teenagers at the moment is mental health and therefore to combat some of that we've got to do more as they change schools and scripture unions it's your move is a great start but we've got to take ownership for this don't stop doing marriage prep 
but I never understand the order in which churches decide to do certain activities. We'll do marriage prep. Well, that's a choice between two adults, but we won't do this for these teenagers. It's a bit like um, we at Youth for Christ were partnering with HDB to produce Alpha, Youth Alpha. We produced that quite a few years ago. And I remember Nicky Gumbel saying to me, you must be so pleased we've produced Youth Alpha. And it's when I was a bit younger, so I was a bit ruder. I'm not like this. (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm moderately pleased, but it's 12 years too late. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you produced Adult Alpha 12 years ago. Why on earth would you produce Adult Alpha that's got a chance of possibly reaching 10 to 15% of the population before you produce Youth Alpha? Friends, we've got to get our business in line. We've got to take ownership for the kids in our church and our community. Therefore, we've simply got to do something as they change schools. You add to it, too, the mess of puberty. Do you know the brilliant thing? You've all been through it. So cast your minds back. We're not very good at talking about this stuff in church, are we? But we've all been through puberty. It's blooming hard when you go through puberty, isn't it? It really is. We've got to start reaching out to young people with the right kind of love and understanding. That's on this issue. Um, you can never get it more wrong than me. Because I preached at this church. And afterwards I went into the back hall. And there were four old ladies in this back hall. Now forgive me with respect. They were really old. <laughs> like... They were almost cold. (laughs) They were, um, if you could take off the recording, that'd be great. (laughs) Just getting overexcited. Showing off, he's overtired. Anyway, they were in their early 90s. And the vicar might have thought he ran the church. The vicar did not run the church. The church was run by those four women of vintage. And one of them said, young man over here now. And I went over, they had a fifth chair to the circle. They started to go at me. There's loads of kids in this community, but none of them come to church. What are you going to do about it, Reverend Calver? Well, like I live 140 miles away. <laughs> so we start again, but there's loads of kids in the community. We've got nothing in common. We pray for them, but nothing's happening. There's nothing we can do. What were you going to do about it? I said, I can't do anything. So they started again, but there's no one here. No one. I turned to four women in their 90s, and I looked them in the face, and I said this. Have you ever been through puberty? <laughs> now I genuinely thought we might lose one <laughs> so before we did I said the backdrop may be different but a lot of the fundamental changes are the same think back to how you'd like to have been treated as a young person and reach out to young people like that they start a youth group I got a letter you'd never get an email from me of that <laughs> and it said that every Thursday evening five in the evening they were having a youth group. Had 40 kids go into it. There previously was no youth group. All the kids were 11 to 14. And there were four main leaders. All female. <laughs> <laughs> all over 19. <laughs> and by the grace of God, all still with us. Yeah. One of the things we need to learn better is we need to get better muscle memory. We've all, been, we've all been young people. People say to me, but they're not made to be a youth worker. You've had the ultimate experience that makes you good with children and young people you've been one and so we need to remember some of that and, and then we need to be realistic about how hard it is some of the social pressures and other stuff um, when I was 14 I was 5 foot 4 I grew 8 inches in 6 months and lost a stone in weight so it's like I was this little fat fella <laughs> and I got stretched out I used to be a really good little rugby player playing on the front row getting stuck in. Suddenly, I couldn't hardly walk without falling over. And in the end, I became a goalie. nearly became a footballer. That's what I went after. But it was hard for about six months. I, was, I just became shy. I didn't say to anyone because even walking was a bit odd. And I had pains everywhere. And you know, This stuff's just difficult, isn't it? 
Let's not make it more difficult. Let's be there for our kids. Let's support them. And if you can't do it, I, I have this vision of the church being the ultimate bring and buy sale. What I mean by that is someone else does it for your children when your children find you embarrassing. And you do it for someone else's children. And therefore, everyone's get looked after. But this funny thing. At our church, most of the teenagers think I'm the cool one, right? They think that I'm the one who... Because I'm as good at footy as them, and I, I know a bit about this, and I've done youth culture. and they, That's what they think. My nine-and-a-half-year-old has, in the last two weeks, banned me from dancing anywhere. <laughs> it used to just be outside of the house. And banned me from singing... Except during worship. <laughs> but she said, even during worship, Daddy, you're a bit embarrassing. <laughs> so she said, but a, few less, a few less arms in the air, a few less fist pumps, and sing a bit quieter is her advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that to encourage you. That all of us with our own kids, it's a challenge, but we, it takes a whole church to raise kids into faith. So take ownership for everyone. So, you know, uh, what will encourage you even more than that? Brooklyn Beckham was 15 when he was being interviewed on the telly. And Brooklyn Beckham's asked this. What's it like having David Beckham as your dad? And he says, it's embarrassing. <laughs> he says, why? He says, well, dads, they're embarrassing, aren't they? He said, and um, the interviewer says, well, give me an example. He says, well, I make my dad drop me off around the corner from school. Because it's embarrassing to be dropped off by your dad. His dad's David Beckham. <laughs> give yourself some slack, eh? <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story, and... Because I think the only way we'll get interactive is enforced interaction, we're going to do some enforced interaction. But I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to split the room in half, roughly along here. And I want everyone on this half of the room to talk about how the youth worker could have done it differently. And I want everyone on this half of the room to talk about how my mum could have done it differently. Now, my mum's got thick skin and lives on the other side of the world, so don't worry. I was, um, I was a challenging teenager. I was a bit of a naughty boy. I, um, as, as one of my school teachers who heard me preach recently said, you hid your academic ability wonderfully well at school. <laughs> <laughs> I did all I could to have fun and cause mischief. And I was in a youth group and I was one of a pair. You know, every youth group is a pair, don't they? That naughty pair that do all they can. Every Sunday morning we would pray that God would give us the opportunity to make our Sunday school teacher's life awful. And every week he answered that prayer. <laughs> and we caused lots of trouble, never really violent or malicious, but really, really mischievous. And so what happened one day is we turned up late to Sunday school. And they were sat outside. We thought, well, that's exciting. That's how dull it was at times. And we turned up late. And our Sunday school teacher came right over to us and said, I've had it with you two. You come in here, you cause problems, you think you can roll up when you want. I've had enough of you doing this, I've had enough of you causing problems. You're not welcome here anymore, and you're banned. And she followed it up by telling us we were banned for six months. Now when you're 14, that's a high percentage of your life. <laughs> <laughs> went home, my mate Danny, because that was the twosome, it was me and Danny. My mate Danny went back to his parents' house. I went back to mine, my, my dad was away preaching, but my mum was there and I'm one of four kids. It's no word of a lie. She goes around the table asking us how church was. 
comes to my little sister first and she says well mummy I finished my cross stitch for you this morning it says on it as for me and my house we will serve the Lord (laughs) (laughs) turns to my brother how was church he says I went forward to say I want to be an evangelist for Jesus this morning turns to my sister how was church my older sister she says my friend Sarah Jane who's been coming for a few weeks gave her life to Jesus it was brilliant she turns to me how was church I hate church. I'm banned from church. And ha ha ha, even you can't make me go. I'm not allowed to go. <laughs> My mum got quite cross. Got cross quite quickly. We had this big Barney. I ended up upstairs in my bedroom, under my bed. It was one of those beds that had planks. And I took a little pen knife and I carved on every single plank. I hate church. There we go. With two or three people around you, discuss on this half... Because obviously it's not a good outcome in the story. (laughs) Just to clarify. What could the youth worker have done differently? And over here, what could my mum have done differently? And then we'll feed some of that back and and see what lessons we can learn. That's fine. At least that happened to me. So polite. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was about to, I was about to do an old trick. This is a good one for you. I was about to say, let's pray. That always gets everyone quiet. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. We would have. Pra- In fact, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with us as we discuss this. I pray, Lord, we would learn stuff through this, and I ask, Lord, you would lead us, and I pray, Lord, that you would um, give us one or two tips here that help us. 
Amen. Amen. Right, let's start with the youth worker. What could the youth worker, if anything, you may think it was perfect, what could the youth worker have done differently? And we need to keep it short because I need to repeat it for the microphone. <coughs> well, six months ban is pretty harsh. Yeah. So to actually not having young people come to church, yeah. you would have to ask, what was the thinking behind yeah. that? Yeah, six month ban is harsh. It's not yeah. just harsh, it's ludicrous. It absolutely it is. Utterly ludicrous. <laughs> and do you know what? It would not have been done to people that weren't from Christian homes within yes, the church. Yeah, right. This seems to me thing, sometimes we're hard on our own. Yeah. Yeah. You would yeah. not have done that to two kids on a local estate, would have yeah. got a two-week ban. Yeah. Communication could have been better. Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Communication could have been a lot better. Youth worker could have talked to us. In fact, when you've got a pair... What do you do? Split them up. You divide and conquer, right? Yeah. But when you tell a pair off together, what happens? They get stronger together and they fight against you. And not many uh, women like our youth worker are going to be stronger than those two naughty wide boys. Anything else for youth worker? Give them a job. Give them a job. Great. Empower them. Best, best thing to do is empower people. One of our other friends, once they'd cottoned on to this, one of our other friends who was a bit naughty, started hosting services at church. They weren't even sure he's a Christian, right? (laughs) But hosting at our church simply meant you said, welcome at the start, you read out a sheet of notices, and at the end you said, thanks for coming. But it meant he had to stay for the whole thing. (laughs) I don't think we're pragmatic enough. (laughs) Anything else? Make them compete against each other. I, I think divide them up. I'm not sure you want to make naturally competitive people compete, but to find a way of an outlet. Find an outlet. I think also a system of discipline. A lot of churches do this now because bear in mind this is 22 years ago, and I don't look anywhere near old enough. That's L'Oreal five in one, <laughs> five in one anti-aging moisturiser. But um, a lot of churches are better at this now, but discipline has to have a structure. We're both big football fans. Red and yellow cards would have worked. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the punishment was undeserved. Never saying that. But from nothing to that is too much. If we'd had a yellow card or we'd had a, a pre-warning or we'd had a... There's been two or three steps and then we, that's fair. But what's not fair... It, it, you, you can't just... Youth work cannot hold a record of wrongs. You either need a formal record, as in you've done this and this and this, and it's written down and we talk to you about it. Or, but what you can't do is suddenly it all blows up on one day when there's no real big deal. Anything else for the youth worker before we move on? Okay, let's talk about the mum. My mum. Don't worry. <laughs> what could she have done differently? We were saying you, she could have probably, instead of shouting at you, at you in front of all the other mm. your siblings, she could have took you to one side and maybe tried to tease out the problem yeah. and got you to maybe think of yeah. you know, what was My mum could have taken me away from the wolf yeah. pack that was my siblings, yeah. who all looked like they were just to the right of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of making me feel like an imp of Satan in that moment. <laughs> Definitely. Anything else? It's interesting you assumed I was the oldest. Well, I thought you were. I'm the third out of four children. 
I'm just a naughty one. <laughs> but, but, but you know, can we talk about anything else in the month? Have a word with the uh, youth worker. Exactly. To get the whole exactly. The full story. Had a word with the youth worker to get the full story. Or, or even not assume that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> there's this interesting moment I think particularly with mums and their sons where I've met two types of mums the mums who think their sons never do anything wrong and the mums who assume their sons are always the instigator and neither's, neither's okay but there was no sense I just got told off instead of my mum ringing the youth worker or finding out what happened or anything else it just happened two, maybe if she chats you but why you came out with such a, a statement, I hate church, what was behind all of that? Yeah. You know, maybe then reacting to, I'm sure she was very frustrated, I would be, um, as to why you were reacting that way, um, and wanting to know why, to see what yeah. could be done differently. Yeah, see what could be done differently, it's good. We had a lot of sympathy for your mother and thought it was your fault. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting. The sympathy for my mother is interesting. In fact, let's do that. Who has sympathy for the youth worker in the story? Because I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Who has sympathy for the mother? Yeah. <laughs> and who has sympathy for me? <laughs> <laughs> do you know, um, the reason I, t- I tell the story for many reasons. Firstly, that youth worker and I had a good reconciliation. I, I, I was only out of the church for five and a half years as a result. <laughs> and we had a good reconciliation afterwards. And she stopped doing youth work less than a month after that. She was going through some hard stuff in her life, and that was a particularly hard Sunday. And so there's a context to it. Yes. The problem is, we have this sort of stiff upper lip that delivers the programme regardless. But sometimes it's better to not do the programme than to run volatile youth work. Because if it hadn't been that, something was going to kick off. And sometimes you've got to cancel the youth work over doing it in a volatile setting. But I felt sorry for her, because she wasn't that equipped for youth work, and she was the one who volunteered. We've got to start valuing youth work more highly in our churches. In every church I've been in, we've headhunted youth workers. Because what I'm sick of is, well, if anyone's got a clean DBS and wants to help with the children and young people, we need more volunteers. No one wants to. But if anyone wants to preach or do anything up front, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. We validate the wrong things. The most important thing in a, in a, in a church, actually, is the children's and youth work. It's the most fertile ground. And so um, we need to start validating youth work more. Then with the mum, I feel sorry for my mum. I hate church are the three words every parent fears from their kids. And do you know what? It had to be me as well. You know, we've got to be careful with our kids to treat them all differently. Jesus treats everyone differently. You see Mary and Martha, when they've both lost Lazarus, one of them wants to cry and one of them wants to chat. So Jesus cries with one, chats with the other. He treats us all as individuals. And yet sometimes with our kids, we, we can actually compare them or put them in one lump together. And I'm one of four, and I'm the naughty one. The other three are clever. I've got the looks. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my worst memories of my childhood are a report day. Because our reports come home from school, we had to sit in my dad's study and read them out loud to him. <laughs> the other three would come out of the fiver, I'd come out with a sore rear. <laughs> it's difficult when, you, when you're what I was one of four and I was the naughty one. I'll tell you something, everything that they celebrate, everything my parents would celebrate in me now, was there then. It's just been redeemed. So the rebel that gets kicked out of school gets redeemed to be a rebel kicking in the name of Jesus against the world. 
which everyone loves in me as an adult. And I get people always saying to me, how come you're so brave? Or how come you lead people to Jesus in a park? Or, or last night, let's face it, it was totally inappropriate to ruin the party and ask people if they want to follow Jesus. But when loads of people do, everyone's pleased. But there's something of the rebel that needs to be redeemed. But we've got to help these kids when they're younger. The other thing that's tragic from the story, Danny, our best mate, been in church building twice since that day. My wedding and the dedication of one of my kids. He's a barrister because he didn't know how to use his public speaking and leadership for good, so he's doing that. He's a barrister, he's hugely successful, but he's miles away from Jesus. And it's hard, isn't it? So we've got to make sure that we don't underestimate what's happening because that little snowflake became a snowball that rolled down a hill and still rolling. I've not given up on Danny going to come to Jesus I'm absolutely convinced I pray every day that that man will meet Jesus and it's going to happen and I would it's awful isn't it I see so many people meet Jesus but if I could just see him meet Jesus but we've got to be careful because our youth work has long term ramifications our youth and children's work isn't it? we'll move on to 15 to 18 year olds 15 to 18 year olds is when action becomes even more intense isn't it after the church ban I had a new hobby I would go into the kitchen and say things just to wind my mum up. <laughs> Boys play their mums. I'm saying this because I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's some mums here who've got an absolute pain in the neck of a child and I can give you some hope. That's <laughs> all I'm hoping for. But I used to go in the kitchen when my mum would be cooking or whatever and I'd just go in and I would say, God is dead. Just to get a reaction. Because I liked getting a reaction. I'd go and I'd say, Mum, I'd say, oh, looking at you and Dad, you're so inspiring around faith. You really are. Look at you, you're such a brilliant example. I've looked at your life and I've decided to take faith really seriously. That's why I've become a Muslim. <laughs> now, now, I haven't become a Muslim. But I think we need to understand, this is somewhat we look at in the book, understanding where the teenager's coming from. Did you know, does anyone know what the last part of a teenager's brain to develop is? <coughs> It's the bit that leads to common sense. <laughs> That's why teenagers think it's a really good idea to jump out of a second floor window. right? Or they do stupid things and even make silly comments. But, but if you think, if you imagine, what would life be like without that part of your brain that stabilises you, <laughs> that gives you common sense? It'd be difficult. You know, so do you know why teenagers sleep so much? Because they're growing. Science has proved teenagers need to sleep. But we call them lazy. Any other life stage, we have sympathy for what's going on physiologically. When old people can't walk fast, I don't say to them. Because <laughs> 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 I, I, I can run, I run seven minute 40 miles, right? I did six this morning. I love running. I don't say to old people, hurry up. <laughs> because they're old, so their body moves slower, right? That's okay, isn't it? We've got to have the same sympathy for younger people. A lot of what we write off in young people is physiological. And then we've got to just have a bit more sympathy, and we've all been young people. Now, one of the changes, though, very much is there is a lot of respect lost today, isn't there? It was interesting. I went, um, my friend Peter Linus, who obviously works at EA here, and I went to his parents' house for, for lunch yesterday. Now, Norman and Linda Linus are lovely, but if I'd met them when I was young, they'd have been Mr. and Mrs. Linus, no doubt about it. But my six-year-old said, all right, Norman. <laughs> and I checked. I checked it was all right, and it was. But that's kind of, life's changed a bit. I'm going to talk in my culture seminar later in the week 
about the fact that I think that John Major and Edwina Curry is the reason why we've lost a lot of respect in our culture. Because what happened when they had their affair way back when was that's when sleeves really started in the media. And what sleeves has done is it's attacked authority figures. So it tries to undermine every authority figure. So what you end up with is no respect for authority figures. And so suddenly we blame a young person. But actually, the respect is earned in our culture now. It's not given. I don't like that. But it is how it is. And so we work with what we have. So with some of our young people, they, we, they need to earn our respect. We also... Um, we have a problem with church at this age, don't we? Let's be honest. Where else do you sit down and be talked at for so long? And particularly young lads, they don't like singing. <laughs> and especially songs that make Jesus appear to be your boyfriend. <laughs> and I'm saying this not to be awkward, I'm trying to be helpful. And what you end up with is someone leaving church because they didn't like the style and we call them a prodigal. They're not a prodigal. They just didn't understand the Dutch you were speaking to them. And we've got to understand some of this and work with some of this. It doesn't mean we just change it for them, but it means we focus on what would help them grow. You also get the questioning spirit. I love it when people ask questions. Because if they're asked with the right motivation, it means they care. But I remember this lad in my youth group, my old youth group, saying to me, Gav, um, I'm praying for my friends and no breakthrough. I'm praying for Africa and they're still starving kids. I'm praying that wars would end in the Middle East and people are still dying. In fact, I'm praying and it often feels like God's not there. Do you know what I said to him? I said, do you know what, mate? I often feel the same. But Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And I've seen too much in my life for any of those things to be showstoppers. So what I'd encourage you is to keep ploughing in and keep going. Don't give up. But don't fight the fact that you're struggling. Now, you may agree or disagree with that approach, but that lad made it to a mature adult faith. And I think part of it is, we mustn't make Christianity a glass stick that we overly defend, and the minute that there's one problem with it, snap, it's over. I see too many people who, who give up on faith for the most ludicrous reasons, because they're told that everything's perfect. Not everything's perfect yet. That's in Revelation. That's in... That's in Another day in the future. Right now, life is hard. Jesus is real. Don't let the questions stop you. But, ha- but people have questions. Don't you? Who has questions for God? Right. Therefore, it's okay to let people know you're vulnerable at times. There are certain issues you shouldn't discuss with teenagers. But there are some things you can be honest about. You know, when I meet God, I want to ask why there's so much ethnic cleansing in the Old Testament. I've had it explained by some of the leading theologians in the world, but I still don't get it. I still don't understand. It's not a showstopper, but I don't understand. Also, I have stupid questions. When Lot's wife turns around, why does she become a pillow of salt, not a pillow of pepper? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to know. Or why couldn't she have been a combi, you know, with salt and pepper together? (laughs) Maybe there was a salt shortage. But when our young people ask questions, we don't always have to give answers. Jesus often answers a question with a question. But we are often defending. And sometimes defence is not the best way. Sometimes the best way is openness. I remember speaking at a um, Christian union and they held a guerrilla Christian event. You know the idea where the whole of the school gets together and just has a go at the Christian. So much fun. And it was at this posh school 
on the outside of London. And we're doing this thing. I was 22 at the time. So it was a long time ago, but I'll never forget it. And it had gone really easy. It had really, gone really well. It was really soft. Until you could tell the atmosphere changed in the room. They'd clearly been building up to something. And the head of the Atheist Society, I'm like, what kind of school is this? <laughs> My school is a football team. Anyway, the head of the Atheist Society comes up to ask the last question. He asks me in front of all his contemporaries. He's clearly about to destroy me. You can just sense it in the room. I've got the Darth Vader music going through my head as he comes up to the microphone. He says, why does your God allow suffering? You know what I said? Why do you get? The whole place went silent. He said, no, no, why does your God allow suffering? I said, well, why do you care? Because you don't believe in the God I believe in, so it's utterly irrelevant to you whether you allow suffering or not. The whole room went silent. And then I shared the gospel. Now, I'm not advocating aggressiveness. <laughs> but I do think sometimes we answer all the questions and then all you get back is 10 more questions. Sometimes we mustn't... You mustn't do parenting and youth work all on the back foot. Sometimes you go on the front foot and you throw the question back. Especially 15 to 18, when the questions are coming fast. Time is ticking bef- towards adulthood. Also, do you know what I would do at this point? Never criticise your youth worker. Another quote from Rob Parsons, he says, he says, don't expect your youth worker to do in an hour and a half a week what you haven't done in 15 years. <laughs> Stop having a go at the youth worker. The youth worker's there to help you. And also, if your kid likes something that isn't offensive and isn't preaching false doctrine and you don't like it, that's okay. Go to that church. Because you should go to the church that's best for your teenagers, not best for you. Because your teenagers will may leave church for a while because of style. You won't. You'll tolerate it. You're mature faith. But we drag our kids along to the most difficult, awful youth work and then we wonder why they don't want to go. When down the road there's another church but we don't like it because they don't sing songs we like and we don't like the Bible teaching. But, but if they go there, they've got a better chance. Sometimes when it comes to our young people, we're trying to hold on to them. Because you know if you keep them to 25, you've got them for life. If you lose them about 19, we might have a challenge. At 25, you can say to them, now you can go to the boring church now. But we've got to keep them. We've got to fight to keep them. Which is the last age group after 18 is 18 to 25. Many go to university. However, I don't understand how most churches tell me the biggest problem with 18-year-olds is they go to university. Because only a third of 18-year-olds go to university. So that suggests we're only working with a certain type of young person. When... um, before we moved to London, Anne was working on a church in an urban priority area in uh, the black country near Birmingham. And one kid in five years went to uni. When that poor kid went to uni, the whole church thought they were going to uni. Got given so much Tupperware, it was untrue. <laughs> but two-thirds of young people don't go to uni. So if, from a church point of view, your biggest problem is 18-year-olds going to uni, I'd suggest your biggest problem is the two-thirds of kids you're not reaching in your community. I need to look at that a little. But university isn't immediately Christian. You know, I remember my mum when I, wasn't, when I wasn't going to church would say grace before even the smallest snack. As if suddenly I'd fall on my knees before the risen Jesus because we thanked him for the humbug we were about to eat. <laughs> but you go to uni, it's not like that. Matt Redman's not on the CD player. And, you know, there's not cross stitches all over the wall of Bible verses. And mum doesn't leave a Christian book on your bedside table. Got to pray, 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 pray. Got to really pray. These are the volatile years and we've got to really, really pray. The greatest thing my parents did for me was they asked 10 people to pray for me by name every day that I would come back to faith. If I'd known they were doing it, I'd have been furious. 
But when I came back to faith, I was told and I got to write to them all. We used to do this funny thing. We <laughs> <laughs> used to get a piece of paper, right, and a pen. And you'd write on it and you'd stick it in an envelope and put an outrageously priced stamp on it and send it off. I wrote to them all to thank them. Because it, it was when I was 18. All of them wrote back. And I got these letters back and they were all smudged a bit because people had been crying when they'd written their letters back. The greatest privilege you can give to someone is to ask them to pray for someone that you want to meet Jesus, come back to Jesus, or survive in Jesus. You do it for others, let them do it for you. My parents chose ten. You choose how many you want, but I'd say at least five. If there's a kid you care about, at least five people praying every day, petitioning. You know, D.L. Moody, the old preacher, uh, wrote down a list of everyone he wanted to pray for every day they'd come to faith. When he got to 100 names, he decided he had enough. By the time Moody died, 96 of the names had come to faith. And at his funeral, the last four gave their lives to Jesus. This is not sort of little praying. This is petitioning the heavenlies on behalf of people we care about. One of the other challenges to be aware of too. Sometimes your youth work will go on a bit longer. Adolescence used to be 14 to 18. It's now 7 to 28. We are living in a time of extended adolescence. Kids are getting old quicker and staying young longer. You know, in the UK, more 30-year-olds live with their mum and dad than are married. We're living in a different world. Therefore, some of the people you're working with, it may take longer. Just grow up is not really the best pastoral approach. But we have to work with them as they go. And by God's grace, we'll see them come back. Number one tip, keep giving people an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Just keep giving them an opportunity. And be a healthy Christian yourself. Because nothing's more infectious to those around you than that. Let your children catch you reading the Bible. Family prayer times. So few families pray together. You know, um, I think in the church we've got a similar problem to in the world. It's just a different issue. Every time one of our kids' friends come round for dinner, they love it. Why? Because we sit round the table. Mm-hmm. None of their families sit round the table. And some of these can be, this isn't a class thing. It's a time thing. And we, my, my aunt says, we're always sit round the table. Whether you're there or not, Gav, we're going to sit round the table. Mm-hmm. Always eat round the table. In the church, the families stop praying together. We've got to start that. We've got to bring that back. Jesus, though it is, families that pray together do tend to stay together. Let's bring Jesus back to the middle of all we do. You know what? If I had all the answers, we wouldn't have a problem. But we do need to shut the back door of the church and keep those young people we have. But the most important thing is to pray. The words of MC Hammer, we have to pray just to make it today. <laughs> We've got to take our prayer for our young people more seriously. So I thought that's the best way to end. I wonder if you're able and you'd stand with me. <coughs> we, are, we are what I would call time poor and passion rich. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me that you might not do very often. We're going to pray what they call Korean style, which is we all pray out loud together. And we're going to pray for 30 seconds as if the salvation of the young people in your minds depends on this moment. There is power in God's people standing together in prayer. And we are really going to give it some. So there's no awkward end. I'll pray to finish, right? So we know we're finished. But let's give it some. Let's really declare. Let's petition the heavenlies on behalf of these young people we know and love. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you would break through in power, Lord, in the lives of some of these kids working you would move mightily.
Lord Jesus, which is mighty Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you that somewhere along the way people prayed for us. And I thank you for those people as well that helped lead us towards you. We honour those people now. But Lord, we want to be those people in other people's lives. Lord, the dream for many of us would be to be that in our own children's lives. Why that be so? But if it needs someone else, so be it. Lord, we'd love to see it for some of the kids that aren't our own offspring too. Lord, this isn't just about the people that are flesh and blood. It's about all people meeting you. Lord, I pray even now you would draw to mind the young people we should be praying for. And Lord, draw to mind too the the people we should be asking to pray for, the young people we want prayer for too. Lord, I pray there would be an army of prayers taking really seriously the petitioning of the heavenlies on behalf of the young people. But I pray too, Lord, it wouldn't just be in our prayers, but in our actions. I pray we would lead young people towards you. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be perfect, but we would be good models of what it means to be your followers. And I finally ask, Lord, that the evil one would be kept at bay. Lord, even um, in ways he may be attacking some of our young people here at New Horizon, he, he has no place, he is under your feet. You have had the victory. We believe and pray for a generation who lift your name high, live for you, love you, and go much further for you than we ever could. Amen. Amen.